As we look at Galatians in our sermon this morning, just want to remind you there are written sermon notes that you can find on the website, and we will have the scripture passages as I'm speaking this morning. I grew up in Regina, and when I was in high school, I went to this winter retreat at a camp there. As I remembered, it was 40 below, it was windy, and it was snowy. But then as I remember Saskatchewan, it's always 40 below and windy and snowy. But regardless, I met a girl there, and I was drawn to her. She was from a different town in a different part of Saskatchewan, and it always seems the good-looking girls or guys are from a different town in a different part of a province. But we sort of hit it off, and we got dressed, and we went outside in that freezing cold, and we went for a walk down by the lake. I had romantic intentions. She had a question. She asked me this. She said, I'm a Catholic. I've been taught that to be a Christian, I go to Mass, I say confession, and I do some other good things. And yet here, I'm hearing that I need to become a Christian by something else. Can you explain that to me? Well, I'd had some good youth evangelism training, and I explained what I understood. And she did make a commitment to the Christ there by the lake in that freezing cold. And she did become my girlfriend for a short time until living in different towns ended that. What did I say to her? Well, I asked her a question. I said, if God were to ask you today, why should I let you into my presence? What would you say? And she answered, well, I try to be good. I go to mass. I say confession. I pray. I give. I do some other good things. I think it's the same answer that the people in Galatia would have given. And they're all good things. They're just not the heart of Jesus' message. And I think it's really that question that Paul is trying to answer in this book called Galatians. So just a reminder of the context of the book. The church in Galatia was part Jewish believers and part Gentile believers. And they had this issue that they were fighting over that Paul wrote to solve. And the issue that they were fighting over was when a Gentile believer began to follow Jesus, did they have to be circumcised and eat kosher food and follow all the Old Testament law? And some said yes and some said no. And that divided the church. And so Paul wrote this letter trying to give them understanding of how the Old Testament applied in New Testament times how doing good related to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was trying to prevent this church split in the church in Galatia. In other words, what had happened is some people had come from First Baptist in Jerusalem, and they were saying that the truth is everybody must keep obeying the Old Testament laws. And if Paul was saying something different, then he misunderstood the gospel. And all the Jewish background believers agreed. They saw that as keeping going. And Paul saw the error of that. And so he writes this letter to the church that he had started a few years before. And those first two chapters, the ones that Tyler led us through last week, are Paul's defense of himself as an apostle, saying, I do have the gospel right, and I do know what I'm talking about. 
And then in obvious frustration, as we start chapter 3 in Galatians, he says this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you have heard? Let's pray and ask God to guide us as we try to unpack that kind of densely packed package. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather in church. We can gather to worship, even if it's around a TV or a, around a speaker. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would help us to understand this book. Help us to understand your plan for us. And help us to understand who we are in you. And we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in those five verses that I read, Paul asks five different questions. In a sense, they're rhetorical. And in a sense, they're all the same question. And if you were to sum it up in one, it probably would be the last one. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? And if we were to simplify that question even more to make it easier to understand this morning, we would say that when Paul says God gave you his spirit, he means that's when they became Christians. That's when they became followers of God because we receive the Holy Spirit when we become followers of God. And by working miracles among you, he means the ongoing Christian life. The ongoing relationship we have with God where we see the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so to simplify the question, what we're looking at this morning is simply this. Did you become a follower of God and do you continue to follow God because of the rules you obey, or because of the faith you believe in what God has done for you in Jesus. And Paul is going to sort of treat that as two separate questions. How do we begin a relationship with God, and how do we continue a relationship with God? And we'll look at the first one today, and then next Sunday, we're going to look at the second one. This week, how does the death of Jesus work? What does that tell us about the place of faith and works? And then next week, if faith is the dominant reality, then what do we do with rules? What do we do with the law? What do we do with the Old Testament? Is it to be obeyed? Is it to be ignored? Is it to, well, next week, we'll figure that one out. So let's dive in. What does Paul say to the Galatians? And the best way to answer that is to go back to the paragraph immediately before this, the one at the end of chapter 2. And Paul gives the answer in his first sentence. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And Paul just lays out this simple truth of the gospel in those few words there. We are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So here's how the Jewish believers in that church in Galatia understood what had happened to them in becoming Christians. They believed that in the Old Testament, God chose Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, and they were chosen to be God's people. They got circumcised and they obeyed the law because they believed in God and they accepted his call to be his people. They weren't so much obeying the law to get into being God's people, but staying God's people. And so when Jesus came, these Jewish believers just simply added the Gentiles into that paradigm. Now they understood God was calling both Jews and Gentiles to be his people, and they both needed to be circumcised and obey the law. And because they believe in God and have accepted his call to be his people, they do that. They're not obeying the law to get in as much as they're obeying the law to stay in. And that's sort of where I started with that girl on the beach that we were talking about. She wasn't some total unbeliever. She'd been taught that to be a good Catholic and a good Christian, which, of course, was the same thing. She had to believe in God and do the things the church said were important. She had to go to Mass, say communion, be part of baptism. She had to be religious. But she was looking for something more. She was looking for a relationship with God. Now, she was Catholic, but she could have been Baptist or Lutheran or anything, because in all denominations, there are people who think that we need to obey some rule in order for God to have a relationship with us. And maybe that's where you are this morning. I mean, if you're listening to this at all, you must be religious, you must be interested in God, and you must be wanting to please him in some way. And like the Jewish believers in Galatia, you may have believed in God and started to obey some rules so that God will be pleased with you. That you will be part of his forever family because you do the right things. And what Paul tells us in that passage is really simple. He just says that doing the law and obeying rules is not the way to please God. It's not what God wants. And he starts by explaining what Jesus dying means to this. Next week, we'll look at whether the rules fit in or not. But Paul starts by talking about the death of Jesus and how that applies to us. In Galatians 2.20, he says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And it's striking that last verse. If righteousness could be attained by the law, Christ died for nothing. And by righteousness, Paul means that right standing that we want to have with God. And Paul asked that question. Well, it's not really a question, but it, but it sure raises a question. If we need to obey the law to have a right standing with God, then why did Jesus die? And it raises maybe another question. If we don't have to obey the law, then why does Jesus dying 2,000 years ago 
makes so much difference? And surprisingly, we find the answer to that question in that story of David and Goliath. If you remember back to the Old Testament, we're going back a thousand years before Jesus here. David was a young boy from a big family. Some of his older brothers were in the army fighting. At this point, they were fighting the Philistines. And the two armies had met in this valley. The Philistines were on this side, on the hillside. The Israelites were on this side, on the hillside. And in the valley was going to be this big battle. And then this giant steroid case named Goliath came out. And he came out with this proposal. Rather, he says, than fight a big battle. Let's do it the easy way. He was willing to take on anyone from the Israelite side in one-on-one -on -one combat. If he won, the Israelites would be their slaves. If the Israelites won, the Philistines would be the Israelite slaves. And Goliath, as the Bible describes him, was this enormous, very gifted, very experienced soldier of fortune. Big and dumb as a man can come, but stronger than a country horse. But Goliath threw out the challenge. And he primarily challenged King Saul as the leader of the Israelite side. But Saul wanted no part of this guy. David was sent by his father to bring some food to his brothers. And when he shows up and he hears this, he's offended that someone is putting down God's army. And he takes up the challenge. And if you read the story, there's all kinds of subplot there. But the least likely guy goes to take on Goliath. And David takes him on and, spoiler alert, kills him. And out of that story, we get a lot of stuff about fighting giants and all kinds of other application. But at its heart, that is a picture of Jesus. Every Israelite was represented by David. If he lost to Goliath, they all lost and they all became slaves. But if David won, well, then they all went free and the, the Philistines became the slaves. And in exactly that same way, all of us are represented by Jesus. When Jesus defeated Satan on the cross by dying and rising again from the dead, we all defeated Satan. We were all set free from slavery to sin, and we were given a right relationship with God. And just as the Israelites didn't have to do anything to defeat Goliath, they simply identified with David. So we too don't have to do anything in this battle except to identify with our leader, Jesus. Of course, the obvious difference is when Jesus defeated Satan, he did it by dying on the cross. But then he also rose from the dead. And he died on the cross because there was a penalty that had to be paid for our sin. Because we sinned, we deserve to die. Romans says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came and he paid that penalty for us. He came in our place and in representing us, paid the penalty. And when he rose again on Easter Sunday, it was his way of showing his defeat of Satan and sin and death. And whereas David defeated Goliath by killing him and setting free the Israelites, Jesus died in our place, paid the penalty for our sin, and then rose again in triumphant defeat of Satan. 
And we who identify with Jesus in this way are set free from sin and Satan. And that's what Paul was saying in those verses. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In his sermon last week, Tyler was talking about imputed righteousness. And that's a pretty theological concept. But, but really, this is all he meant by that. For the Israelites, David's victory over Goliath was imputed or credited to them because they were represented by David. They got the reward that David got in killing Goliath. And for us, it's Jesus' death and resurrection that are imputed to us, that are credited to us, that are treated as if we had died on the cross and we had risen from the dead and we had defeated Satan. I have been crucified with Christ because Jesus' death is the payment for the penalty of my sin, and it's put to my account. It pays the penalty. And the result of all that is that I have this right relationship with God, and I receive his righteousness, his right standing. And this is what Paul is trying to explain to the believers in Galatia. If this is your story, that in Jesus' death and resurrection you have a right standing with God, then why do you want to bring all these rules and laws into it? If you understand who you are, you won't get confused by people who tell you you have to do a bunch of things when God has already done that. And we don't need to do a bunch of other things in order for God to love and accept us because he's done that in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if you understand who you are and what God has done, then the rest of this falls into place. And the question comes, do we know who we are? In his commentary on Galatians, N.T. Wright tells the story of Margaret Thatcher when she was prime minister of England. She was visiting a senior's house as part of campaigning for an election, and she went from room to room meeting all the seniors. And one old lady she met, shook her hand, but just looked at her blankly. And, and Margaret Thatcher realized that she really probably didn't know whose hand she was shaking, that she was meeting this world-famous politician. And so Mrs. Thatcher asked her a simple question. She asked the older lady, do you know who I am? And the older lady gave this wonderful response. She said, no, dear, I don't. But I should ask the nurse if I were you. She usually knows. And Paul says that when we know who we are, then we can understand how we should live. When we know that we are made right with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and not because of what we do, then we realize that God has made right what we can't. That he has made us alive when we were spiritually dead. That he has made us a part of being the people of God. That he has given us his Holy Spirit who lives in us and is his presence with us. See, the people in Galatia had the wrong understanding of who they were. They had the wrong picture of God's plan. They thought that they were chosen and 
in their obedience, they became right with God. And Paul says, no, no, it's not that way at all. God chose Jews and Gentiles who had all failed to obey God. And Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. And we identify with him through faith. And through faith, we receive God's forgiveness. That Christ died for us. I wonder if that's making sense this morning. Suppose God were to stand in front of you this morning and were to simply ask you that same question, why should I let you into my presence? Paul would tell us the answer to that should be, and let me just read those words of Scripture, I know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So I too have put my faith in Jesus Christ, that I may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because I know by the works of the law no one will be justified. And then Paul would go on to say, Through the law I died to the law, that I might live for God. And I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I don't set aside that grace of God. For if righteousness could be attained through the law and through what I do, Christ died for nothing. And I just wonder this morning, do we need to confess that we've been relying on our own efforts? That we've been relying on the good that we do, the things that we think will earn God's love and approval and pleasure? Have we been relying on our own efforts to receive God's forgiveness? And this morning, do you need to put all that down to put down all your good works and receive God's offer of forgiveness. Uh, you might be wondering in all that, does doing good have no place? No, no, we'll look at that next week. But that's next week's sermon. Before we get there, we need to make sure we know who we are in Christ. Because if we understand who we are and what Jesus Christ has done for us, then that part of it falls into place. We realize that it can't be that we do those things to earn God's pleasure. We know that there's another reason for them that we'll look at. But when I was talking to that girl on the beach, this is some of the conversation that we had, not with all that scripture, but with that answer. That often we say to God when he asks us, why should I let you have a relationship with me? We start talking about all the things that we do. And the answer that God is looking for is simply that answer, that Jesus died and rose again. And I identify with that. And I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this morning, I don't know if some of that resonates with you, but I just invite you. Is our relationship in, with God based on what Jesus Christ has done for us? Or is it all about what we do for God? 
and when we struggle and fail and sin, do we sense that our relationship with God is broken? Or do we understand that we have this identity in Christ that comes because of our faith in God? And that we need to deal with that brokenness and we need to deal with that sin and we need to deal with that failure. But that doesn't separate us from God if our faith in Him continues in. We'll talk next week about what that all means, but this morning it's that getting our identity straight. Getting our identity that it is in Christ Jesus that we have this relationship with God. And this morning, I just would invite you to just come to God, to be willing to put our trust and our faith fully in Him and in His death and resurrection. And this morning, I invite us to turn away from trusting in ourselves to trusting in God. And so, Father God, this morning we come and we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to do what we could never do, that he came to die on the cross for us and rose again in defeat of Satan. And that as we identify with him as our Savior and Lord, we too can know that our sins are forgiven, our penalty has been paid, and we too have defeated Satan. And we can live in the victory of life and the righteousness of God. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.